Thank you very much. I remember when I was a student in college, um, one of the boys had a um, philosophical dictionary that was uh, published by Burton Russell, who was a famous British philosopher at that time. So I wanted to see what it's all about. So I just opened up to the first page. It starts with ABC. So on the first page he has arithmetic. And he had, each, uh, each letter of the alphabet only had one word, I think. And he had a cartoon uh, to bring out an idea that had to do with that word. So he had under arithmetic, he had a galach teaching arithmetic to the students. So the galach writes on the board, one plus one plus one equals one because they believe in the Trinity, but it says that there's only one God, Hashem Echad. So one plus one plus one equals one. That's his uh, joke. About, uh, the, this is the arithmetic that the Catholics have. In our religion, one is one. One plus one plus one equals three. It's not one. Our religion is based on reality. It's not based on crazy ideas. It's not based on wild ideas. You have to check out what the reality is. Rav Salvation was very fond of using the expression that appears in the Talmud. Dovin Amelach says, unlike all other kings, they sit on their throne and they're very fancy and uh, they're all dressed nicely. Dovin Amelach says that that a woman comes with a shaila, whether she's tamayel or bailo, so he has to hold uh, the mara in his hand, he has to hold the baby in his hand to see if they lost the child, to see whether it has a tzuras ablad, doesn't have a tzuras ablad. You have to check everything the halach has to correspond to reality. We don't make up stories. The Talmud has a dispute among the Tanoim and Masech Chalo. Um, which grains are acceptable for matzah? Which grains can you, the flour of which grains can you use in order to be chayv in, in, in challah? And when do you say hamotzi? When do you recite b'chas hamotzi? So we know, we usually assume there are five types of grain. Wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt. So the Tanoim had a dispute. And Rabbi Yechid Ben-Nuri was one Tana, he thinks that rice also has the status of the Hamesha's mini and his opinion is not accepted. So what is the issue? What does it depend on? So the Talmud says it depends whether the, if you mix such a flour with water, is it Bole de Chimutz or is it Bole de Sirchom? How much gluten does it have? Gluten is the ingredient that, uh, that the wheat has, that when it rises, everything will hold together on the top. So... The Talmud raises a question. The Talmud Yerushalmi asks the question, so how can you have a dispute among the Tanoim whether rice is bola de chimitz or bola de sirchum? Why don't they experiment and find out? So the Talmud says they did experiment. And that was exactly what the Machlaikis is. Where do you draw the line between sirchum and chimitz? So this is a famous passage in the Talmud Yerushalmi. You cannot have a Machlaikis at Tanoim that doesn't correspond to reality. Why don't they check? Why don't they investigate? Why don't they experiment? So the Talmud says they did experiment. This is what the Ramban comments on the Gemara in Chulin. In the Gemara has a dispute regarding Trephus. Uh, the Torah has a whole list, of, the Mishnahis have a whole list of diseases in animals that if you slaughter such an animal, has such a disease, you're not allowed to eat the meat of the animal. That's a Trephus. So the Talmud has a dispute. Should we assume that Trephus ain't a This animal is certainly going to die within a year, and that's why it's prohibited to eat the meat? Oh no, not necessarily so. Not necessarily going to die within a year. It's a chok. The Torah says you're not allowed to eat the diseased animal, even though it's not going to die within the year. So this is a dispute in the Gemara. So the Ramban writes, he doesn't understand. How can the rabbis have a dispute regarding trefa with a trefa chai, a trefa ain't a chai? Why didn't they experiment? Why didn't they take a hundred animals and lock them up and see it? A hundred animals that had a trefa and lock them up and see if they're going to survive a year or not? 
And he quotes this passage from the Talmud Yerusham. You cannot have a machlek as satanaim as something that can be ascertained. It has to correspond to reality. So check and find out. So the Ramban says he's guessing. He's reconstructing history, what probably happened. He says they probably did take 100 animals, probably took 500 animals that were all trafus. And he's guessing. He says they probably all died within a year. And one Tana said, there you have it. That's conclusive proof that any animal that's a trafer is going to die within a year. The other Tanaim said it's not a controlled experiment. If you would have taken 5,000 animals instead of 500 animals, if you would have taken 20,000 animals, maybe some, of them, maybe some of the animals would have survived more than a year. So the Ramban has this principle, you cannot have a machlekes hatanoim that doesn't correspond to reality. Our religion is based on real mitzvahs. What's really there? We have a din in the Chumash, Torah says there is no such thing as a lucky day or an unlucky day. We have, the Talmud has a tradition, there are. There is a lucky season in the year for the Jewish people whenever we have an issue with a, with a non-Jew. So the Talmud has a tradition that the month of Ador, Mishinich Ador, it's Barya Mazla, the luck of the Jewish people when, when, it's, uh, when there's a confrontation between the Jews and the non-Jews. So it's luckier for the Jews to have the Dintar in the month of Ador. And it's unlucky to have the Nintar in the month of Ov. That's the month that Tisha B'Av falls out. But uh, aside, from these, aside from this tradition that the rabbis of the Talmud had, there is no such thing as a lucky day and an unlucky day. There's so many Jews who have this bug in their head. They're afraid to go to work on Friday the 13th. They're afraid to have an office on the 13th floor. There are Jewish people who build buildings who are in construction. They won't have a 13th floor. You'll go from the 12th floor to the 14th floor. They're afraid to have a 13th floor. This is a Mishagas. This is exactly what the Torah says, Losen Ono Ono means something that has to do with time. We're not allowed to think in our minds that a certain day is luckier than another day, or another day is uh, an unlucky day, or Losen we're not permitted to decide how we're going to act in the future based on some kind of an average guy that happened, uh, that happened to us. I, I, I was... Uh, <coughs> I'm not sure whether I should make an investment in a certain corporation or not. So because uh, I walked in, the first taxi that I met was a red taxi or an orange taxi instead of a yellow taxi. Therefore, I will or will not make this investment. It absolutely doesn't correspond to anything. In our religion, things have to correspond to reality. The Talmud has another prohibition. The Chumash has another prohibition which is elaborated upon by the Tosefta and by the Talmud. There's a din of chukasakum. We're not permitted to do things that the Ovdi Abedizara, anywhere in the world, do, which don't correspond to anything. Narishkite. You're not allowed to do that. There are, there are very religious Jews who will, who will start knocking on what they think is a tradition from Altaheim. It comes from the Gospels. It comes from Altaheim. It comes from the Christians. Yeah. They think somehow they're knocking on what? It's a Psayyidish Aminic. It's absolutely not a Yiddish Aminic. It doesn't correspond to anything. That's a Chukasakum. The Talmud says that there are certain things that to us, may, to the layman, may appear to be absolutely ridiculous. Let's say a person is very sick and the doctor prescribes a pill. So he gives the, he gives the patient a pill. This little pill is going to make me better. It doesn't make any sense. I'm a layman. I don't understand. The doctor knows. Uh, look, they worked on this for years and years. And they came to the conclusion that if you take this pill, it will get better. So the Talmud says that look if the thing works so there must be a logical and there must be a natural reason there must be a, a reason uh, why it works or let's say for example someone, someone needs radiation so we know what radiation is so the doctor will go to another room push a button and cause radiation to, on, on the body of the patient 
So how can it be? The doctor's in the other room pushing a button. How's that going to make me better? How's it going to help me uh, improve in my health? No, they work this out. So you know, to the, in the eyes of the layman, it seems like a voodoo. It sounds like something magical. But it was worked out. It's scientific. Something that's scientific, so there's no violation of chukasakum. But if something does not correspond to science, it doesn't correspond to reality. So that's a, a prohibition of chukasakum. You're not permitted to do these kind of things. And it's a prohibition of nichosh losenachshu. The Gemara has one exception to the rule. The Gemara says in the, day, in the days of the Talmud, it was a common practice if a person didn't know he was at a crossroads, he didn't know what he should do, whether he should travel to this country or travel to the other country, what field he should go into, so they would have the practice of asking young children who were studying Tanakh. Years ago, they used to follow the, uh, the curriculum that's drawn up by the Tanoim and the Mishnah in Pirkei that between the age of 5 and 10, the children would study Tanakh. Between the, between the age of 10 and 15, they would study all the Mishnais, and only after they mastered all of Tanakh and all the Mishnais at the age of 15, then they would start studying Talmud, because then their minds were ripe enough to understand Gemara. A young child before 15 really isn't, his mind isn't really mature enough, it's not ripe enough, they should understand Gemara. So that was the practice that they had. So the Tanoim and the Amoroim, a lot of times when they didn't know how to make a decision in the future, whether to go in this direction or not direction, whether to go travel or make an investment in business or whatever. So they would ask a child, tell me what Pasuk did you study today in Cheder? And based on the Pasuk, they would make their decisions. Isn't that totally random? Isn't that mamashchuk asakum? Isn't that just magical? So that's a problem. Why isn't that a violation of us and Achashu? So the commentaries explain the, the, the Tanakh is, a, is, is an exception to the rule that Tanakh was written to teach us how we're supposed to lead our lives. So even though this sounds a little strange, we ask a child, what's the latest Pasuk that you, that you study today? The Talmud tells a story. One of the Chachamim wanted to go travel from Eretz Yisrael to Bovel in order to visit Shmuel. Shmuel was a great scholar in the days of the Amoraim. So he, asked one of the, so he was at the port, about to enter on the boat. And then he asked one of the children, what Pasuk did you study today? And Tanakh so he tells me, he studied the Pasuk of Shmuel Meis. And say for Shmuel when it describes the death of Shmuel. So the Amorah understood, oh, they're telling me a, a simon from heaven that Shmuel passed away. I shouldn't go travel to Bobo because he died already. They had no telephone, they had no newspapers, they didn't know who was alive, who was dead. So he, he based on what the child told him, so he decided he's not going to waste his time to go to Bobo because Shmuel apparently passed away. The Talmud says the truth of the matter was that Shmuel had not passed away. But he was an old Rabbi and he was an old man, and Menashe Hamayim, they didn't want him to knock himself out to go travel to Bovel. He could correspond with Shmuel, it wasn't necessary for him to travel to Bovel. So the, the commentaries on the Gemara say that's the one exception to the rule, that we allow such a thing. To ask a child, Sokli Psukech, tell me what did you study in Tanakh lately, and whatever possible the child says, that will be considered as if the Torah is telling us how to act. In the summertime of the last uh, 30 years or so, we go to, we spend the summer in Tannersville. So there was some, um, a woman was telling us in Tannersville that um, she belongs to a certain Hasidic group and uh, they weren't sure whether they should spend the summer in Tannersville or not. So usually they have a collection of the letters of the Hasidic Rebbe, the Igris of the Rebbe. So they write a Shiloh, the Rebbe had passed away a long time ago. So they write the Shiloh that they have and they put it in the Igris of the Rebbe and then they look the next morning the Shiloh that they wrote is going to be on the same page wherever they put it. It's not going to be on a different page. So they look the next morning in the, in the Igris of the Rebbe and whatever it says on that page 
That's the answer to the child. This is not exactly what it says in the Talmud. The Talmud says, you ask a child, what did he learn in Tanakh? The igris of, of this Rebbe are not all about learning. The igris of the Rebbe sometimes are just blessings and uh, suggestions, recommendations, psychological comments, and so on. But this was the practice that these people have. So the woman tells us they weren't sure whether they should go to Tannersville that year, and she didn't have an igris, but she had a cookbook. Second best is a cookbook. So she wrote to Shilas, should we go to Tannersville or not? She put it in the cookbook. The next morning she woke up, she looked in the cookbook. Lo and behold, she found that the letter that she had placed was now, it was yesterday also, was on the page of blueberry pie. So she said, that's it, we're going to Tannersville because she only makes blueberry pie in Tannersville. All year long she never makes. Whatever she goes anywhere else, doesn't make. So that was the answer, Menashe Maim. So that's clearly a violation of Los Anachshu. That's absolutely a prohibition. Even if you put the Shailin to the Igris of the Rebbe, that's also a violation of Los Anachshu. The Talmud only says the one exception to the rule is Psokli Psukhefe. If you ask a child, what did you learn in Tanakh? The Gemara doesn't say you put a, a Shailin into the Mishnahis. You don't put a Shailin into the Gemara either. You don't put a shayla into the Shulchanach. Only in Psokli, Psukachi, and Tanach. That's the one exception to the book. You, don't, you certainly don't do, it on, don't do it on a cookbook. The Tosefta lists off in Masech Shabbos several prokim listing off prohibitions that are also because of Chukasakim. So one of them that's mentioned is Achut Odaim. People walk around with red strings on their wrists. Every other person is walking around with a red string. That's exactly what it says is prohibited. What do they think the red string is going to help them for? Whatever it's supposed to be. It's nothing scientific. It doesn't correspond to anything in reality. That's exactly the prohibition of Chukasakam and Loisanachshu Velosoneinu. You get the impression at the time of Itzias Mitzrayim there was so much superstition going around when the Rabbani Shalom gave the Torah to the Jewish people and he proclaimed these two prohibitions, these three prohibitions, and the Chukas HaGoyim, are not permitted to go in the ways of the Nochrim, when it doesn't make any sense to eat French fries as mutter. Ah, you're imitating the French? No. Why do the French eat it? Because it tastes good. So I eat it for the same reason. We wear winter clothes in the winter, summer clothes in the summer. This, was, this Einfall was discovered by a non-Jew. But it makes sense, and whatever makes sense, and there's no prohibition of Chukasak, when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't make sense, that it doesn't correspond to anything in reality. That's when you have a prohibition of Nichush, and you have a prohibition of Chukasakum. So you get the impression when the Torah was given, there was so much of a disorder in the world, and there's so much uh, magic, and so much uh, uh, voodoo, and all this kind of stuff going on, so the Jewish religion was on the cutting edge of, of uh, throwing out all of this Narishkai. And now, 3,000 years later, you look around and you get the impression as if the Jewish people are more superstitious than everybody else. Where did this come from? We're supposed to be in the forefront of rejecting all the superstitions. So this comes from the fact we are very strong on Minhogim. Tosis has the expression, Minig Yisrael Torah, whatever is a Minig, we follow. Yeah, Minig Yisrael Torah has to make sense. If the Minigs are Minig Shtus, they're not permitted to follow Minig Shtus. Those who, the Dafyomi people just started Baba Basra. So Taisus on the first Mishnah in Baba Basra, the Abbasim and Aleph, points out, you see from the Mishnah, that there are minhagim that you're not permitted to follow, sometimes a minik shtus. Rabbi Natam has a famous tshuva, a famous essay, where he writes that the word minhag, mem, nun, hegim, all is the same letters as Gehenim. And there's a connection. He says if it's a minik shtus, he goes straight to Gehenim. You're not allowed to follow minik shtus, only if it makes sense. The post can point out 
When you want to ascertain what the meaning is, you have to ask a Talmud Chochem. Don't ask a Balabas. Maybe the Balabas misunderstood. He thought that knocking on wood is that Yiddish Aminic. And it comes from the Catholics. It comes from the Gospel. Not a Yiddish Aminic. You have to ask Rabbanim what the meaning is. And the Rabbanim have to establish that the meaning is what we call a meaning of Asikin. It was a meaning that was instituted by Hasidim and Shemaise, by Tzadikim. And it made sense at the time. There was, there was grounds for it. Not Stam. That's the way our forefathers did something, so we do it as well. That's the, that's the meaning Shtus. One of the students was about to get married, so he asked Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, about some have a practice, some have a minik, that they untie all of their uh, knots. Before you go under the chups, they untie the shoelaces, they untie the knots on their, on their, uh, on their tie. So he asked Rabbi Soloveitchik. So Rabbi Soloveitchik said in Yiddish, he was telling him, it's not necessary. Then he said, no, 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 not just medafnish, metarnish. You're not permitted to do that. You're not allowed to do that. That's a chukasakam, that's a minik shtus, that's nichush. You're not allowed to do that. So then the boy pleaded with him, but my mother-in-law is going to get a heart attack. He's marrying a girl and the mother-in-law insists. So he said, don't fight with your mother-in-law. Okay, make her happy, untie everything, but have in your mind that it means absolutely nothing whatsoever. Of course it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't correspond to anything. Our religion is based on facts. Our religion is based on metzias, things that are really true. Unfortunately, we live in a generation where you have so many people, university graduates, normal people that think normally in all other areas of life. And uh, when they start having some problems, so they'll, they'll take the ksuba to a makubal to ask them, what's wrong with the marriage? Or they bring the mezuzahs to someone to ask, what's wrong with the mezuzahs? What's wrong with the mezuzahs? Bring it to a cipher. Don't bring it to a makubal. If the cipher says the mezuzah is no good, you've got to get a new mezuzah. If the cipher says the mezuzah is good, why did you bring it to a makubal? There are people who will travel to Eretz Yisrael, will take off the mezuzahs and be in Eretz Yisrael for a month and leave the house in America without a mezuzah for a month. They're about limits for mezuzah. Why did they take off the mezuzahs for a month? The din is that if I have a house that I live in, if I have uh, the sheet in Kubetz, right, in Bob Metzi, on Dav Kufyut, uh, that if you have ten homes in ten different countries, and I spend a month in this home and a month in that home, all the ten homes are Chayv and Mezuzah all year long. Not just while I'm there in the apartment, it's Chayv and Mezuzah. That's my base there, I live there, it's Chayv and Mezuzah all year long. When you take your mezuzahs down to have them checked, you're supposed to take it down, show it to the safe, and then put it back up the same day, as soon as possible, within a half hour, within an hour, not to take down the mezuzah for a month and travel around to Eretz Yisrael to all the different mukubalim. One of the former chief rabbis of Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Bakshi Daron, has a collection of chuvas. So he has a, all of his chuvas just have numbers, they don't have titles. This chuva has a title, Tomim Tim Hashem Alakecha. So he has a whole attack against this practice. In Eretz Yisrael and in Europe and America, everybody's taking down the mezuzahs and showing it to the, to the Mekubalim. He says, show it to the cipher. And they're showing the exubas to the Mekubalim. And the Mekubalim decides within his, in his infinite wisdom that the shidduch is no good based on the name. Someone has to change the name. He rips up your exubas he makes your nuxubas. The whole thing is hagwash. Where'd they get this from? It doesn't correspond to anything. There's no such halach. There's no, there's no Kabbalah. They invented their own Kabbalah. It doesn't correspond to anything. It's a big problem. On Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara says we have a practice that we dip an apple in honey, you dip the chal in honey, you eat, you, eat, uh, you eat all kinds of funny fruits and vegetables. So what is that all about? Just because you're going to dip the apple in honey, you're going to be secure, you're going to be sure that you're going to have a good year. So the commentaries explain on the Gemara, the dipping in the honey is not the main thing. The main thing is the prayer. 
you offer a prayer to the Rabbanu Shalom. You demonstrate, I'd like to have a sweet year, and I dip the apple in the honey. But the main thing is really the tefillah, not so much the, the simonim. And the Gemara says it's, it's permissible to do this. Not that it's obligatory. It's permissible to do this and it's not a violation of, of Nichush because we're placing the emphasis on the tefillah that we're making. We're not placing the emphasis on the simon that we do. Like a, a Kala wears a white gown when she marches down the aisle. A symbol of purity. It means the, ha- the marriage is going to be happier because she wears a white gown. No, it doesn't necessarily mean like that. In the days of the Rishonim, there was a big dispute. Is it permissible? Not is it obligatory. Is it permissible when you're picking your wedding date? Is it permissible to uh, take a calendar and try to figure out where the moilet is in order to see that you should set your wedding date in the first half of the month when the moon is getting bigger and bigger to demonstrate the fact that the love of the boy and the girl should continue to grow? Is there anything wrong with that? So here for the Rishonim, man and the Rishonim are of the opinion not allowed to do that. That's Losa Oneinu. What do you mean? The, the latter half of the month after the Mili Halvana is an unlucky half and the first half of the month is luckier. This is a violation of Losa Oneinu. And the common practice today is we follow the, the, uh, the majority opinion in the days of the Rishonim, the Muki Yosef and Sanhedrin quotes it, that it's permissible to check this on the calendar. But the Hungarian post can point out, not that it's obligatory, it's not obligatory. A lot of times people will postpone their marriage a couple of months because all the other dates are booked and you've got to get married the first half of the month. It's not a halacha, you have to get married the first half of the month. It's permissible to insist on, it's permissible to try to set the date in the first half of the month. But obligatory certainly isn't. The Hungarian achreinim say it like that, not the Litvakis. The Hungarian achreinim say it like that. It's a hetar, it's permissible, but it's not, you're not mukhayif to do that. An important, one of the important themes of Rosh Hashanah is Kabbalah Samachu Shamayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu completed the creation of the world on Rosh Hashanah. That's when Adam was created. The sixth day of creation was, was Rosh Hashanah at that time. And uh, before Adam was created, that's prehistoric. There was nobody there. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wasn't yet considered a melech. There was no human being over which he could be considered a king. After Adam Arishim was created, so then Adonam Allah Shamalach Bataran Kalitzin of Allah Isnasabh Azai Melach Shamonik, after the Rabbanishan created Adam, then he's considered a Melach. So we are in every Rosh Hashanah, we are supposed to be Makabal Ol Malchus Shamaim. What does it mean Kabbalah Sal Mahash Shamaim? What does it mean Yichud Hashem? When we recite Kriyashma every day, so we recite the three parshias of Shema, Shema Bahayam Shamaya and Vayoimer, and we recite three brachas in Shachris, the three brachas spell out the themes. Of the, three, of the three parshias of Shema. The same in Mairif. The three brachas of Yechaz Kriyashma, Hashkiveno is another bracha. But leaving out Hashkiveno, that's a different story. That's a prayer we should have a good night's sleep and we should wake up healthy in the morning. But the three brachas of Yechaz Kriyashma are supposed to spell out the themes of the three parshias of Shema. So what are the themes? So the Mishnahis tell us the theme of the first parsha is Kabbalah Samach Hashem Yechaz Hashem, Hashem Echod. What does it mean Hashem Echod? It means that there's only one God in heaven above who has full control of everything that's happening in this world. And there's no way that I can get around His wish. If He wants me to get better, I'm going to get better. If He wants me to get sick, He wants me to die, I'm going to die. He wants me to go get uh, refuah. Okay, so I go get refuah. But there's no way to, to, to undo the wish of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
And in Shachris, when we daven, when we recite the first Baruch of Kriyashma to spell out the theme of, of Yichud Hashem, of Kabbalah Samach Hashemayim, so we emphasize, God is the one and only one who is in full control of everything in the whole wide world. Everything is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is a cheapening of our religion, that people think that this is part of the Jewish religion, all of these Narishim and Hagim. In the days of the Talmud, the rabbis were always up, they were on the cutting edge, they were, they were picking up from the scientists what's on the cutting edge of, of science, the cutting edge of medicine. So the Talmud writes a lot of things, you should be careful about this, about that, about the other thing. In the days of the Talmud, that was considered the latest news in medicine. If you look at a medical book that was written 50 years ago, the doctors will look today, it'll look like a crazy, voodoo, magic, ridiculous. No, not only 50 years ago, five years ago. The way medicine is practiced today is totally different from the way it was practiced five years ago. Someone's going to practice medicine today the way they did it five years ago. Kabbalahim a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. Well, think is I'm a sugar In the days of the rabbis, in the days of the Talmud, they were listening to the doctors of their time. So they write all kinds of things which to us seem absolutely strange. We're not allowed to follow that medicine that appears in the Talmud. And we have to, we have to follow the medicine in the Talmud in a sense, just like the rabbis in the Talmud were listening to the doctors who are on the cutting edge of medicine. We have to follow the doctors of our generation who are on the cutting edge of medicine. We have to do things that are healthy, we have to lead healthy lives, we have to take good care of our, our health and so on. And there is no such thing as, as uh, there's a way to get around the wish of HaKadosh Baruch we're going to wear a red string, we're going to do crazy things. You do things that correspond to reality. Our religion is one plus one plus one equals three. It's not equals one. Our religion thinks correspond to reality. When the rabbis discuss what Kalim Abolea, so they discuss what the glass Kalim Abolea, so they experimented. So glass is much less Bolea, absorbs much less than metals. That's a fact, that's a messiah. So there was a machlaikas, therefore you have the right to use one set of dishes, fleshy you can use if it's glass. Oh no, still self self, it is Bolea a little bit. Not balea to the same extent as metals, not balea to the same extent as earthenware. So that was the machlaikis way to each other But everything was based on mitzias. Everything is based on reality. And you have to check to find what the mitzias is. The Kabbid Rosh Hashanah. We should all be makabalo machoshemaim. We should be makabalo machoshemaim every day. We say kriyashemaim every day. Shema Yisrael Hashem Echod. And Hashem Echod means is in complete control of everything. And there's no way to beat around the bush to undo the wish of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is all part of Kabbalah Samach Shamayim. And just as when Maimon HaSinai took place right after Yitzhak and Tzrayim, the Jewish people were given this mitzvah, no superstitions and no schoolers and no narishkeit, and everything has to correspond to reality. We're supposed to live up to that tradition even today. And we should, we're not permitted to observe Minhagim that are narish Minhagim. If it's a minik shtus, you don't observe it. The person will say, if you have a minig that made sense years ago, and it no longer makes any sense, you don't observe that minig. Is it didn't with respect to a takana de rabbanon. If the rabbis make a takana de rabbanon for a certain reason, you live in a generation where that reason doesn't apply anymore, so that the Talmud has a whole discussion, and the Gemara says, that's a dovashet minyan tzachman yanachal Since in the days of the rabbis, when they made the takana, it did make sense, there was a valid reason, so even if you live in a generation where the reason no longer applies, the Takana is still binding unless the rabbis will convene and they'll cancel, they will repeal that Takana the Rabban. But when it comes to Minhagim, there is no such rule. 
Abchai Moise Paskins and all the other Paskins say the same. The Ramor writes like that. Rashi writes like that in the beginning of Beitzah. When it comes to a minig, if you live in a generation where the reason for the minig doesn't apply, you don't continue to observe the minig. And certainly if the minig never made any sense in the first place, it has to be a minig of a and it has to be a minig that Talmid HaChachamim are testifying on the minig. Many of the Minhagim are pulling down the validity of the Jewish religion. We have magic. We have people think that magic is part of our religion. This Narish and magic is not part of our religion. Our religion is based on reality, based on real things. I want to wish everybody and we all have to work on these mitzvahs and Yichud Hashem Kabolos Amachos Shemayim.